Hey everybody, welcome to episode 15 of Rain City Supercars. I'm Dan. I'm Nick. And on this episode, we've got a slightly above average guest with us today. Where it counts in the racing career. <laughs> that was too easy. Sorry, Andrew. Alright, uh, so <laughs> let's catch us up on this week. We're back. They're still trying to hold it together. I'm going to pat myself on the back for that one. Yeah, Dan finally gets a joke in. Good for you, Dan. Yeah, high five. I'm proud of myself. You had a pretty busy week, Dan. Um, somebody yeah. in your life was going to buy a car and you decided to buy it. Yeah, well, it was there and I wanted a new daily. So I bought a uh, 14 S4 Prestige from my good friend uh, Vivian at Bellevue Audi. Uh, my friend Brandon works there as well, so he's a technician. So I knew it was a good car and... When the deal didn't work out for her, I was like, well, I guess I'll get a new daily. So now I have a 14 S4 Prestige, and I love it. And you kept it from me, and we don't have any secrets, Dan. I know. Well, not that many that the world know about, but, you know, it's, it's a beautiful car. I really do like that car. I love, And I keep saying it over and over again, I love the seats in that car. I mean, the car has great performance, but those, those sports, uh, the S performance seats are just fabulous. Well, let's get to our guest today, because we have a really good one that I'm sure will run long, because there's a whole lot to talk about here. Our guest today is Andrew Evans, and he is a professional race car driver. That is his career, not his hobby, and that is not something many people can say. So, Andrew, thanks for joining us, and welcome. Thanks for having us, guys. This is awesome to join you. So, we know Andrew. How did we we first meet? I mean, I knew Andrew through you via Concorso. I think Andrew Andrew and I met through Concorso uh, with Dominic Dobson, who is... uh, what would we call Dominic? I mean, well, what can we call Dominic? Um, <laughs> let's see. No, a mentor. Uh, he's, he's 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 your te- he was your teacher, right? I mean, yeah. Dominic okay. Dominic and I know each other for a number of years since I was like fifteen or sixteen. Um, he's a big mentor of mine, big advocate, and also my manager. Although I consider him a friend above anything else. And uh, I think I met you, Nicholas, at an event with the uh, Concorso crowd yeah. or a Jet Center event. And I think the very first time I met you, you pulled up in a white Miata with uh, short shorts on, with a nice little colorful T-shirt. And yeah, I was, uh, I was my, like, I was doing my best, Corky Romano. We were down in uh, actually that was um, the Desert Jet Center the event. Desert Jet Center event. And um, I had flown in, and <laughs> now this is a really good story. <laughs> and and I got in really late down there. And I okay, and it's no secret, I'm not a big fan of the desert. So I fly in. I don't really want to be there. But you know, I've got to turn on the nick and so i go up to the lady at the car rental and i'm like oh i had reserved like a hyundai accent and she looks at me and she goes um we don't have any cars left and i go you you gotta have something she goes well um i i have a new miata like club racer and i was like i'm whatever i'm fine and i got in that car and that was like (laughs) 10 pounds of crap in a five pound bag so i mean so i i put the roof down and i'm like buzzing through you know the palm desert which uh, just so we're clear, blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy in a little Miata, people are assuming <laughs> that I have great taste. And they were right. Um, so I pull up to the house, and Andrew's just, you know, Andrew's a, you know, a very kind, down-to-earth. He's one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. He's, you know, I always say he's, he's, he's too nice to be a race car driver. Um, and he looks at me and goes, what the hell? <laughs> and they're all out there laughing at me. They also did make me sleep in a crib down there. That was another story, the fo- photos. But yeah, I think you're right. That is the first time we actually met. Um, and Because then, then that next day, uh, Katrina made me and Dominic go down to uh, some bar and like pimp ourselves out to try to sell tickets. Oh, and neither one of us wanted to be. <laughs> well, well, guys, what they're leaving out there is that that was a gay bar, too. Oh, was it? I don't notice. Um, <laughs> all I see is... Well, that was a I lot think, of men. I think Dominic <laughs> did mention that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, and for those of you who... We mentioned Dominic on uh, episode 13. We were, we were recapping our Jet Center experience this year. And he... Uh, you can Google Dominic Dobson, of course. You'll find he is an uh, ex-professional race car driver, now an instructor. And he has a VR product. What's the V, which you're involved in as well, Andrew? I'll let you tell us about it. Yeah, so it's called VR Motion. They're based out of Hillsborough, Oregon. Uh, it's Dominic and his business partner, uh, Keith Mayer. So the two of them uh, kind of got together a few years ago and decided to go ahead and expand their virtual reality experience. So they do, well, where I was involved in is the uh, driver development standpoint. So it's a very realistic virtual reality experience where you can drive any race car on any track around the world with realistic physics and realistic gravity simulators. And then recently they've been uh, dwelling into the um, trade show business or helping out with auto manufacturers. So like virtual uh, showroom experiences, 
um, being able to test drive on their new vehicles, etc. It's actually a really cool product. Again, you can just Google VR Motion. It'll pop up. It's definitely a cool company, and it's worth a drive down to Oregon and check out their simulator. Yeah, they have one actually at the shop. They do. Yes, if you're a member of the shop in Seattle, you can go check one out there. I think, is there anybody else local who has one, or is it just the shop? Just the shop that I know of, but the shop's got their driving uh, simulator, so if you want to drive around Pacific Raceways or uh, Shelton, it's definitely worth taking a look at. Awesome. That's awesome. So, Andrew, um, give us a little bit of background on, on yourself as far as, I mean, we all, being car guys, wish we were a race car driver. I mean... Dan wishes he probably Dan probably could be I, I wouldn't fit in a race car but that's okay um, you know like like Dan always says you know he'd love to own a BAC mono and I keep thinking uh, how are you gonna fit in it but can you give us a little bit of background lots and, of butter and, and lots of <laughs> Crisco's not just for cooking it's for racing could you give us a little bit of background on on where you come from how you've gotten to the point you're at now and where you're at now. Yeah, for sure. So this past year, I raced in uh, Europe in a series called the British Prototype Cup. So I raced something called Le Mans Prototypes. So they're these uh, large, high downforce uh, prototype sports cars that um, race all across the world. Um, the championship I was in was uh, fairly new. I was racing with a team called United Autosports, which is actually owned by a gentleman named Zach Brown, who runs the uh, McLaren F1 team. My teammate was a gentleman named C.J. Wilson, who actually... Oh, he's nobody. nobody <laughs> C.J. who? C. He's who hoping again? to be successful someday. I think he's really good at golf or something. <laughs> it's one of those sports. And for those of you who don't know who C.J. is, C.J. is a car enthusiast, very much a renaissance man. He knows almost everything there is to know. And uh, he was a former uh, baseball player. He was... Uh, an all-star pitcher for Los Angeles Anaheim and uh, made a great career for himself. And recently is starting to transition his life into auto racing with his ambitions to go to Le Mans, just like me. Um, I mean, and if, if and anybody in the car world, CJ owns the one-off MSO McLaren P1 that has the chameleon paint on it. Right. I think he's, there's only one of them in the world. And if you guys haven't seen that car, Google it. Google it. Yeah. It is Absolutely. pretty wicked, okay? <laughs> and it is not the one that drove over a curb. Did you see that video? No, I didn't. So there was a guy down in, in, uh, down in Cal Southern California. California, had his P1, and went and went and took the corner and just took out a whole side fender. No. And what everybody started to figure out afterwards, they started to feel far sorry for him, and then they realized that he was parking in a handicapped spot. <laughs> well, I think it was a show. He wasn't parking in the handicapped still No, still counts. Karma. <laughs> I just feel bad for the guy because we all make stupid mistakes. And it was just one of those, like, you didn't see the curb pulling out. But of all cars to do, and you're just like, no. No. D Dan, when don't you and I make it. a stupid mistake, we curb a rim and cost us 100 200 bucks. What do you think it costs for a side skirt for a P1? That's part of the door. Oh, what do you think you, it costs for the door? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, I'm sure it's just, you know, your standard piece of carbon. Oh, that's 100 grand? Oh, yeah. No, I'm <laughs> no, thinking anything. No, AutoZone probably, probably has the replacement. So... Okay, but we digress. Like I said, yeah. in def like, like Andrew said, if you have not, go go Google CJ's P1 because it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, Andrew and I actually got to see it in person. We were, and we were down in um, in Scottsdale last year, and we were at a McLaren event, which, again, I, 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 I don't know how we were there because Paul Tracy was there. Uh, and I was and I, I thought nearly your jaw painted. was going to hit the floor. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> that was really neat. But we actually got to see the car, and it was beautiful, and he has uh, – he he owns the uh, CJ owns the McLaren dealership down there, and yeah. um, mm -hmm. some friends of ours that used to work up here now work down there, and so um, that's kind of the connection. But again, we digress. So <laughs> you were racing in Le Mans, and when you say Le Mans prototypes, are those like the cars that are raced at Le Mans? Yeah, exactly. So the way it works right now is that the sanctioning body for the Twenty Four Hours of Le Mans. Is called the ACO. It's a little bit complicated, but basically what happens is there are several different categories of quote-unquote Lama prototypes. Um, the one I race in is called LMP3, which is used as both professional category and also amateur category, racing all across the world in North America, Asia, Europe, etc. So the cool thing was I had the opportunity to drive with CJ this uh, past season over in Europe. And so for me, as this, at the time, a 19-year-old kid from Issaquah, Washington, I'm like, wow. I need to pinch myself. This is pretty surreal. I spent my whole life trying to get here. And so kind of going back to day one, I've always been a car enthusiast. For those of you that don't know, I think it's 
pretty evident. I started out uh, watching Velocity Opera Channel. Was his first career. Yeah, it just yeah didn't exactly. Work out, so. I wanted to be a fry cook, but I got stuck <laughs> away from cars. Yeah, it sucks. You know, somebody has to do it. Yeah, yeah exactly, right? And so I actually, when I was eight, I was fortunate enough my parents bought me a go-kart, which was probably, I don't know if that was a good or bad decision, looking back, but it kind of took me down the path of racing, and ever since then, it's kind of consumed my whole life, and I love it. I've met your father. It was a calculated risk. He understands it. And, you know, I was very fortunate where I had a lot of good success in karting. I did a lot of national, international stuff, won some championships and some races that got me noticed. And then from there, I got some scholarships to move up into car racing. And uh, since then, I've made a lot of memories, a lot of cool friends, and uh, have somehow been able to come make it this far in racing. From here, my biggest goal is to race at the 24 Hours of Le Mans, um, which for those of you who don't know, is a race that's held every year in Le Mans, France, a tiny town that you physically cannot comprehend how 250,000 people flood in this town. I mean, I went for the first time this past year. I've always watched on TV. I've always drooled um, on television set. But when I actually went, it was pretty surreal. It's just the most incredible race. And uh, if you guys don't know what 24 Hours of Le Mans is, um, like I was saying, it's a tiny town in France. It's one of the longest running races in the world. It's been around for over 100 years. And it's really pioneered technology. So basically, almost every hybrid car you see on the road comes from Le Mans. So a lot of these Le Mans prototypes pioneer um, electric batteries, um, a lot of new systems called the Kerr system, basically transforming kinetic energy into power for your car. And a lot of cool things are going to come out soon. That's like, I mean, I know it in the fact that I, I was following it last year when Porsche took their 919 and won, which out of, if, if some people don't know, there's actually a shell of that car sitting in the Forza um, yeah, lobby was... in, 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 in downtown Redmond. But and a lot of the curse system that comes out of that has, has trickled down into the into the electric, you know, the Panameras and stuff like that, which is kind of cool. Well, it occurs is power on demand. I'm sorry, power on so demand. So it's going to be your LaFerraris, your McLaren P1s, 918 Spiders, those cars. Exactly. Yeah. It's pretty cool. So I actually had the privilege of going for the first time this past year because um, I was actually racing at a track called Spa, um, which is located in Belgium. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to make a little trip out of this. The following week, it was going to be Le Mans. Decided to go ahead and head on over to France for a few days. And uh, so actually coming with me was a good friend of mine uh, who I've known since high school uh, named Sabrina. So the two of us were just kind of making a little trip out of this. And so we made it to Le Mans. And of course, I'm just like drooling over all these incredible cars. You mean Sabrina. <laughs> <laughs> I saw pictures. He should have been drooling over Sabrina. Too. <laughs> Beautiful woman. Uh, good friend of yours. I, he, she's been a friend of yours for a long time. Yeah, yeah a long yeah. time. And so she's always been super supportive. And so we actually found this like hotel with like i don't know how they possibly could fit two beds in there it was literally the size of walk-in closets and so we walk in you got like nice view of paris anyways we decided to take the bus over to Le Mans for the day and uh so seeing the race in real life is pretty surreal just the amount of people the cool cars the cool atmosphere and the humidity is unbelievable to be honest i mean i was sweating through my t-shirts everybody knows when the french get sweaty they smell better <laughs> i can say that i'm french and I kind of, this is kind of my Le Mans disaster, I suppose. It was like one of the greatest memories of my life and also one of the most trauma, not traumatizing, one of the most memorable moments. So I actually uh, screwed up the bus times going back. So I actually missed the last bus to Paris that night. And uh, so I was stuck in this tiny town with 250,000 of my closest friends. And so you're left with two options. One, you go ahead and sleep on the grass at Le Mans, like at somewhere on the racetrack. Or B, you go ahead and find a hotel room that's going to cost you 800 euros for the night. And so there I, so there we are just like sitting with nothing but a backpack that has literally a tin of Altoids, some gum, and like a bottle of jam that we picked up that was super delicious. And so we're sitting at this cafe looking at each other going, oh my God, this is bad. <laughs> and so... And so, so he's in Le Mans. He's got good breath, good breath, and jam. <laughs> jam. <laughs> Sounds like a hell of a what Friday night you, to me. I'm just saying. What more could you need? Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And so what happened next was just unbelievable. So I was calling around some people I knew that, was, that were racing Le Mans and different teams and stuff. And so every single one of them didn't have a room or a floor for us to sleep on, which I don't know. I guess they don't like my company enough. But we eventually. He snore, I swear. Yeah. <laughs> Nick does. And so what happened next, we, I found the most incredible deal in the world. I was searching through Airbnb, and there's one room, one tiny little room in downtown Lamont, which is only literally 
uh, 15, 20 feet away from this cafe I was sitting at, I'm going, of course I'm going to book this. It was like 300 euros, like quarter of the deal of everybody else. And so we walked there. And so I meet the gentleman. And this is like 11 o'clock at night. I don't even know what he's doing up. And so he's uh, this really like 250-pound, 300-pound guy. This slob walks down the stairs and meets us at the door. And he's going, oh, why don't you come on up? Where are you from? Oh, we're uh, American. I'm from Seattle. She's from San Francisco. Oh, that's so cool. Yesterday, I had like some Italians come through, and the day before that, some French, and I'm going, oh, this is cool, whatever. And so he gets to the top loft, and well, it's not even a loft. It's like a tiny little room, and so it's got like a small little television set and some like Ikea furniture, like two chairs and two beds. And so there's dirty dishes everywhere. And there were like pink towels used. It was a disgusting room. Okay, I'll show you some photos later on. But what happened was I was hauling out one of the beds to go bring out next to the other one just so we could sleep near each other because we don't know who this guy is. He was going to come with like a, a knife or something like that later in the day. But anyway, so we uh, get the beds out, open up the covers, and it's covered with black, thick Italian hairs all over the beds. Oh, I really Great want to know time. why he knows what thick Italian black hair looks like. <laughs> that's, that's the one question. So, oh, that's oh, four, oh yeah, that's there a, we go. That's a Ferrari hair. That's right a Ferrari there. hair. Yeah. And so, oh, the classy life of a race car. Oh, of course. So the bed obviously hadn't been washed at all. No, it probably hadn't been washed since uh, before the Frenchies. It was pretty bad. <laughs> so what happened was we uh, spent the night there, and so I woke up the next morning. I uh, was trying to get up out of my foldable mattress and uh it actually slept on worse at concourse i'll be honest (laughs) (laughs) i have slept on plenty of floors (laughs) life of a race car driver it's cool i don't quite understand the whole glamorous thing (laughs) it hasn't hit me yet but so i woke up the next morning and so i'm kind of like just getting up and all of a sudden one of the uh wooden planks on the bed break and i go through the bed kind of like a little tacoed and so oh it gets better so i and then all of a sudden sabrina right there is just i mean dying of laughter and crying i'm not sure it's because it's so funny or because of the situation we're in and so and the fact that she might need to get a tetanus shot (laughs) (laughs) and so i just kind of get up i'm just kind of there's not a whole lot to really do you just kind of lounge around for a second and so she's getting up she's getting onto the chair uh one of the ikea chairs and so she's putting on her shoes and all of a sudden i kid you not the chair breaks on her. It literally collapses. <laughs> it was just the most wild ride in my life. And so we're walking over to the uh, train station where we're going to take a little light rail to the bus stop. So we get there, and there's like a little coffee shop. I buy her a coffee because that's the least I could do at this point. And so we're sitting there, and uh, I'm just thinking to myself, what's going on in the race? So I like let my phone, and I'm watching it the race live. And I'm, going, I'm offering her, do you want to watch the race at all? Like It's, it's nearing the end. It's really exciting to... I never want to watch a race ever again for the rest of my life. <laughs> I quote. <laughs> Her word. Oh, that's what she said? Her words. Oh, yeah. I want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> I am done with racing. Okay. $450 and, a night for hotel room. Yeah, exactly. With unlaundered sheets. Oh, and man. so, arrived back in Paris, we did whatever she wanted for the rest of the week. <laughs> probably not fair. You're a smart man. Yeah, yeah but it was man. it was a very cool experience, and uh, so that's ultimately the goal is to race a Le Mans, not be in that situation. Um, so, so I mean, someday that's the ultimate. I mean, to take these prototypes and then and then work your way up into a Le Mans type. Pro- I mean, you are in a Le Mans type prototype, but in Le Mans. In Le Mans. In Le Mans, correct. So basically, at this point, um, sounds like he just wants a place to sleep there. No yeah. kidding. I was going to say. I'll race yeah. in the race if you let me sleep. That's not that place. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> someplace better than little loft but yeah so the cool thing was is um that's kind of the ultimate dream and so actually seeing in real life was pretty surreal now obviously the next step is to kind of uh keep doing what i'm doing which is endurance racing and sports cars so those are typically four hour long races eight hour long races or even 24 hour long races and so what happens is you typically have teammates just like me and cj yeah um on upwards of up to four teammates which is pretty cool so it's very much a team driven sport and uh, it kind of adds a new layer of complexity between like the relationships of the drivers, their different driving styles, and even like the little things, like how you fit in the seat. Because you can't really have somebody who's 300 pounds, one guy who's 120 pounds. Right. Why'd you look work. at me when you said that? 
<laughs> just was, so we're clear, Andrew weighs thinking, as much as one of my legs. I was thinking we can probably prop out that Crisco and fit oh, you in absolutely. there, right? Absolutely. <laughs> who's getting the smart ass? Okay. Yeah. So, between how how long? What's the longest race you've run? So I've actually been pretty fortunate. The longest race I ever run was like two hours. So did I, they require a driver change? It did. When, so, how, so how long did you guys race each? An hour it was each? yeah, an hour each, roughly, depending on the pit stop time. Well, that was done a couple years ago. But really, the cool thing is. The next step for me is actually doing these long races, which are, you know, 12-hour long races, 24-hour long races. And so... I've watched in, in, uh, on a couple of series on, on Plex, uh, some of the Le Mans stuff they've done, and you were talking about the multiple drivers and the fact that when the driver gets out and then they put a whole new mold into the seat that fits your body instead exactly. of somebody else. So, I mean, with a Le Mans car, like a prototype car, there's three or four drivers that you're splitting up? You're each doing about six hours, something like that, or not more than that? Four, six, yeah. Yeah, it depends. Math. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It depends. Yes. I mean, you can have three or four drivers. And then what happens is you get into these pit stop strategies. Do we want to have this driver drive for uh, a four hour stint or a six hour stint, etc.? Because you have to plan the tire degradation, the fuel consumption, etc. If you actually get into it and you're able to be behind the scenes, it is a mind blowing operation yeah, being in a, a racing pit. Pieces to keep track of. It is. Well, and I'm, especially in racing, the minute you plan something, the something world goes wrong. Goes, no. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So, when I first met you, Andrew, you were, I mean, um, after my Miata incident, you were racing a an, like an open cockpit car for a very good friend of ours, Bruce Wantar. He was one of your main sponsors. Yeah, hold, let's hold that thought. Let's okay. take a quick break, and then we'll get back, because uh, there's a lot more to this, to racing, than just going into the car and driving. And there's also your day job, which is not being behind the wheel full time. So we'll be right back. Hey everybody, this is Dan from Rain City Supercars. Rain City Supercars is brought to you by M Squared Fitness, personalized fitness and personalized performance. Nick and I are both members at M Squared and can personally testify to the great results. You can find M Squared Fitness at m2-fitness.com or on Facebook or Instagram at m2fitnessredmond. Mention Rain City Supercars and get your first visit free, but remember you've got to mention Rain City Supercars. And we're back. Uh, right before we went to our break, Andrew, um, I was talking about the fact that when I first met you, you were racing the best, to my knowledge, it was an open cockpit car for, and one of your main sponsors was Bruce Wanta, who's a wonderful car guy around here, and one of the best guys you can know. <laughs> yeah. But um, explain to me a little bit about that car, because like I said, I, I know more about that. I, I pushed that car around for you more than anyone. Yeah. 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 So that was something called Prototype Light. So that's kind of a step below where I am, which is something called Lama Prototypes. And so what it was designed for is kind of like an intermediate step between the junior formula cars. So those that look like Indy cars or F1 cars, but more miniaturized and sports car racing, which are heavier, more downforce, etc. And so one of my biggest sponsors and really supporters is Bruce Wanta, like you're saying, who really put himself out there when nobody else would in the Northwest. I mean, he really, I wouldn't be here without him. He was able to go ahead and support me financially, then also emotionally, just with the, it's very, when you're out there fundraising constantly, and you're always trying to scrounge together a dollar, and at that point, I had been without a seat for almost a year. It was really tough. And so what happened was he put his faith in me, and thankfully, the results showed. I mean, we had uh, some good races in the prototype light category. Then now, we've had a few podiums, a win over in Europe with a new team, new car, new tracks. And I'm going up to uh, some of the bigger categories. So it's very cool. So beyond that, we kind of uh, focus a lot on fundraising and racing because obviously it's an expensive sport. What happens is, is that you see a lot of young racing drivers who phase out over time. They may be incredibly talented, but they don't come from wealth. And so what you see is a lot of wealthy South Americans coming into the sport lately. And now even a lot of Chinese drivers too with an incredible amount of wealth. Which is great. I mean, I'm extremely envious of their situation, but... You as... always wanted to be Asian? Me too. No, yeah, I always want to be Asian and rich. <laughs> <laughs> and so where I'm at at this point is I re rely on the Northwest. I'm a proud Seattleite, and I rely on some backers, and uh, both on and off the track. So it's kind of cool. I mean, we're in a situation where the Northwest is known for racing drivers, and so to have somebody kind of coming up through the ranks... It's kind of something that a lot of people haven't seen, so I think people are very fascinated by it. Well, I'm, I mean, I, I hate to take this there, but I think what's what's the most famous race car driver? Who's the Kyle Busch? 
Or who's who, the NASCAR driver that's Yeah, from? he's from here. Then also we had uh, Dominic Dobson. Never heard of him. Never heard um, of him. No. And you know, it's fascinating, though. You can only name a handful of guys. Well, I mean, it's – and I think knowing you has really opened my eyes because, I mean, I've never been the kind of guy that can sit there and watch sports car racing – because mm-hmm. it's never, I've never enjoyed it, but I love the tech that goes into it. And you and I have had, a, and Dan have had a friendship. And I didn't realize how much you have to go out there and, and pimp yourself out just to be able to put gas in the car and drive the next day. I mean, so many people look at it and go, oh, it's Michael Schumacher. He, he shows up, he drives the car, he leaves, somebody else builds the car. You have, you've been such a hands-on guy, and you have to be. And I had no idea that that world existed, which mm-hmm. is kind of very interesting to me. Yeah. And I think would be very interesting to the rest of the world. That's kind of why I wanted to have you on here. Well, should say we wanted to have you on here. Yeah, um, a Casey Kane's who we were thinking of, by yeah. the way. Uh, Casey, yeah. And there's Chris Bingham, too. Uh-huh. Uh, Chris Bingham. Yeah. And he, he had a great career. Yeah. If, uh, is, is, is it his father who owns Park Place? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. David. Yeah. So um, I great actually family. met Chris and David when I was in middle school. And I had this project for school that I could do a job shadow. And I was like, mm-hmm. I want to go to Park Place. Because I was always <laughs> begging my parents to take me to Park Place. And Chris and David actually let me just hang out there for like half a day and watch like how they move cars around and yeah. how they do selling and stuff like that. It, it literally changed my life. It's, that was actually one of my first jobs working at Park Place. Yeah. And um, I really like David. He's a good guy. Chris has been very supportive. I started as a lab tenant in high school, and so from everyday operations, I was able to go ahead and drive everything from a Aston Martin DB9 all the way to like a Yanko Chevelle. So it was pretty cool. I mean, I'm very fortunate for that job because I learned a lot about these cars that I always read about in magazines and always kind of uh, watched on television. So I actually got to drive them and be able to go ahead and talk intelligently about them with other people was super powerful. Yeah, but now you're doing brand ambassador work, right? Yeah, so nowadays I do brand ambassador work and instructing for a lot of different manufacturers and also for a local school called Proformance, uh, located at Pacific Raceways. So what happens is, um, as an instructor, I typically arrive at different uh, auto shows where manufacturers are putting on driving events or driving experiences, and I instruct students through, like a, whether it be an autocross course or like a purpose-built racetrack. And then locally with Proformance, um, I serve as an instructor where we go around Pacific Raceways. I'm in the right seat helping you learn about the car and also the racetrack. It's a very rewarding job for me because obviously I'm passionate about racing, but also I love being able to talk with others and kind of share that passion. And to see people actually improve throughout the day is pretty surreal. I need to come see you with my Z06 because there's nothing more humbling than feeling like you're an okay driver. And I don't claim to be any kind of race car driver or anything close to it, but it's like, even on my best day when I feel fast, I've been in the car with professional drivers before, not, not this Z06, but my last Z06. And then at the end, I'm like, I am so slow and inefficient. <laughs> <laughs> it's so humbling to drive with anybody who does this for a living. Whatever you want, Dan, I'll get it for you. He can't leave until he teaches you how to drive. Don't worry. <laughs> it's terrifying right now in the rain. Let's go do this. Yeah. <laughs> Last down the I-90. I have to say, like, is, is, is there a level? I mean, knowing that you race cars and knowing you know all about cars is there a level where you get annoyed with people in cars like where you're just going they're not listening or they scare the crap out of you because that your job what you just described to me it seems like it would drive me nuts and I'd be i terrified i say that because i was hired by bmw for an event oh, that's right. and spent like eight hours in a bmw i8 trying to tell people how to drive the car which again i have no skill and we were just doing test drives i wanted to kill people Oh, totally. It is. You don't listen. Pull over. I mean, I was like, pull over to the side of the road. You're done. You're going to kill me. Yeah. That's where I draw the line. Yeah. I don't want to die in an I-8. It's not that glamorous. You know, I'm not going to lie. It can be really terrifying at moments. So us instructors, if we feel like we are in a life and death situation, we will absolutely hit the e-brake, pop the car neutral, and grab the wheel from you. I mean, no questions asked. Because what happens is instructors die all the time. And so typically you don't really know about this if you're outside the industry. But the first place to hit on a car nine times out of ten on a racetrack or even on the road is the passenger side. It's natural human instinct. It's not that they're a bad person. It's that naturally they're going to hit that wall away from themselves. And right. so the first person to get hit is always the instructor. And so what happens is you kind of sometimes have people in who believe they're the next great racing driver the next airs and center next f1 world champion you kind of got to calm those nerves a little bit and you gotta basically tell them it is very hard to impress me it is very hard and so from there you kind of uh, work them into it and if they're getting overly aggressive you just put that car to the side of the road and have a conversation with them which i mean you know it's my life 
in their life and they don't even know it. So from that aspect, I, that rarely happens, but at times it does, especially during these trade shows where the general public is coming in. They didn't even pay for this. There's the guy who walked off the street like in L, like a LA or Las Vegas. It is especially terrifying. Oh, so you're talking about people are coming in and they're coming to the Jaguar booth and they get to drive the new F-Pace out on a, a course and you're out there with them. Yes, yeah, so I actually don't do the instructing with Jaguar, but with like Kia or Volvo, absolutely. I, I was just using Jaguar as an example. Absolutely. Yeah. And then like for performance where the people pay, like they still think they're the next great Ayrs and Senna. But no matter where you go, you still have those people who are overly cocky and uh, don't know what they're doing. I've done a few of the a few racing schools. Dirtfish by far is one of my favorite to mm-hmm. date. And uh, it's the same thing. I tell everybody when they go to these, one, you absolutely should do it. No matter what level of driver you are, go absolutely. do it. But walk in the door, accepting the fact that you are, you know nothing. Even if you think you know this something and you've done this before, walk in like it's your first day and you've never done it before and you'll have one, way more fun because the instructor will be way happier with you because <laughs> you won't be trying to kill him. But two, you'll, you won't get those bad habits. You'll, be more be just be open to the instruction you just drop leave your ego at the door and you will have so much more fun by the end of the day it was so fun at dirtfish to like see for myself my own progression of just okay listen to the instructor i'm just going to go slow and he's going to tell me to speed up or slow down and i'm going to do exactly what he says and then i'm going to try and do it myself and then he's going to correct me and that's fine but man by the end of the day i was throwing that thing sideways all over the dirt and i was like this is heaven oh totally and i didn't mean to be doom and gloom and stuff but it's actually an incredibly no, I, fun. I brought up the doom and gloom, not you. I will yeah, say that. No, right it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's actually, everybody should do it at least once in a lifetime. I truly believe. I mean, you learn so much by your car, which you drive every day. And also, you get to challenge yourself. Most people don't realize how challenging it is. It's extremely, men- it's a very mentally draining sport. And, uh, you know, people learn a lot. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So, speaking of Kia, how's the new Stinger? It's awesome, actually. I mean, I was actually surprised by the Kia Stinger. It's um, one of those cars that is kind of a sleeper. So when you drive around the racetrack, which we were doing, it's pretty surprising, actually. It's I gotten would, really good reviews. Yeah, it, it was equal to a Panamera, in my opinion, or even maybe even better. I mean, it's pretty unbelievable. Dang, that is a that's high praise. It's I got high praise for it. Obviously, it doesn't have a lot of the amenities that a Porsche does, but as far as drivability, it feels like a Panamera in some respects. Obviously, we're driving one of the bigger editions i believe we're driving the gt or gt1 which is one of the more expensive options but right, maybe you get the brembos what, 300 and what is it 380 340 is 380 i believe with the gt and gt1 package and the yeah. gt2 i believe is a little bigger of an engine package but then the cool thing about it too was the uh brembo brakes were actually really surprising so it's one of the exercises you speed up to 60 miles per hour and then slam on the brakes and come to a stop it's pretty neat we've done that in the vet a few times for people who aren't ready for it uh-huh. And uh, it does. It's uh, a good way to cough up your liver. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's 62 to 0 and 89 feet. Yeah, something like 84. that. 84. It's one of the fastest stopping vehicles out there. And it's like, wow. It's nuts. It's so fun. I don't know. I like I, I, I like this thing. I mean, I think it's an interesting car. I think it's getting a lot of good praise. But I sit there and I also look at like places like Kia and Hyundai and, and Ford and Chevy. Like, remember when you used to be able to buy one of their cars for like $15,000? Like, you could go out and buy a brand new Camaro. For, like, it was cheap. Nick's super and, old. I'm super old. Like, super, super old. <laughs> I'm barely older than you. <laughs> We're a lot older than him. Um, <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, I feel like, you know, I'm looking at Kia going, okay, wait a minute. You've made your niche by selling cars, you know, to people that need a brand new car with a 100,000 mile warranty, you know, and, and now they're selling. What, what does this thing go for? 60 fully loaded. I looked up the other day. For a Kia? Yeah, but, and that's, you know, if they, the funny thing is, is I bet if they would have launched that under the Genesis flag, it yeah. would have, one, sold better. And it would have just all it would have been is a badge change. I, I don't understand why they launched it under the Kia name. And secondly, if they would have launched it under the Genesis flag, they would have been able to use Manfred Manfred Fitzgerald's kind of his resume from Lamborghini to sort of cater that market to a performance vehicle, which we. I don't know. I feel like they missed an opportunity there by not using that name to their advantage with a performance vehicle because Genesis has got really nice touring cars. I went and looked at one the other day, just happened to be at Hyundai. My parents were buying a little commuter car and they had a Genesis in the showroom, which was surprisingly gorgeous inside and out. It really was surprising. I expected it to be nice, but not that nice. It's well, their gorgeous. flagship looks like an S class. Yeah. And I it, mean, yeah. yeah, it's beautiful, but it's in a Hyundai dealership. So problem number one, because the rest of the dealer doesn't even measure up to the car they're selling at all. It's like trying to sell Mercedes out of a Hyundai dealership. That's literally what it looks like. And that doesn't flow. Like you're not going to get that kind of customer going into Hyundai to buy that kind of car. And when you're going to launch a performance model, you can say that's when you can drop Manfred's very good resume of building amazing cars and 
designing amazing cars into a performance model. But what do I know? I'm just a buyer. Well, I mean, and, and to kind of give our, our listeners a little bit of background, if you don't know, you know, Kia and Genesis were always the same brand. And Genesis has and now Hyundai. been... Yeah, Kia and Genesis. Hyundai. And now Genesis has been split off as its own separate brand is going to become a luxury brand. And Mansford Fritz Gerald, who has an incredible career in the car industry, uh, starting at Lamborghini, well, he's been at Lamborghini and many other places, is now the CEO and, and is really going to take that company, I think, and just just do incredible things with it. So. Yeah, if, if seeing the Genesis up close is something that'll make a believer out of you, if you go look at one of those up close, they know what they're doing. And going off of what you're saying, too, is fascinating that they actually sell them out of, like, Hyundai dealerships. Because you go to, say, like, the LA Auto Show or one of these big international events, and Genesis is never in the same booth as Hyundai. They're their own separate booths halfway across the stadium. So from that aspect, they're trying to distance themselves, which I think is kind of fascinating. I wouldn't be surprised if we see some dealerships eventually. That are I, more th- I think they're going to have to. They're going to start splitting them off. They're just, I mean... From a style standpoint, they're going to have to start differentiating. Differentiating that too uh, between the <laughs> brands. Yeah, like you guys are saying. So, as soon as I learn to say that word, they'll start doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so you're? Are you just doing Kia then? No, I do work with uh, Kia. Then also, I do some uh, brand ambassador work and product specialist work with Jaguar and Land Rover. And then also, I do some work with Volvo and Toyota as well. And speaking of company that's coming around, Jaguar, that new SVR. It's Holy crap. Unbelievable. Everybody, I know a few owners of those. That's the two-door, right? Yeah. Did you see that commercial that popped up on YouTube? Oh, the four-door, the yeah. The new four-door thing? Yeah. It's a good-looking car. The, the yeah. E-Pace, I believe yeah. you're talking about. E-Pace, yeah. If you yeah. actually get to see the E-Pace in real life, it's really impressive. Because to me, I mean, I never, I'm never. i a huge um, German car nut. I love German cars. But I looked at that. I was going, I'd rather buy an E-Pace than, say, a uh, X3, to be totally honest. I think it's a beautiful car. Yeah, I went. I went and looked at a, an SVR F-Type SVR before I bought my Z06, and I almost bought it. The only mm-hmm. reason I didn't is it just it was so refined. <laughs> that it, it, it didn't scare me like the Z06, and it's like and I want a removable roof. I'm, I'm glad I got my Z06, but that was so close to being the other car I bought. It they're just gorgeous. They're beautiful, and they and, sound so good. Oh, it's unbelievable! And like the six-cylinder and eight-cylinder packages are oh, well. Actually, the SBR obviously is bigger than those. But like, say if you want to go and get an entry-level one, all the engine packages are phenomenal. I've been able to drive uh, the inline four, the V6, V8. I haven't driven the SBR yet, but they're pretty cool. The inline four is what they use in the Grand Tour now, isn't it? The, the ripping around the track. I thought that was what it was. I don't know. It's a, it's the low. It's it's not a lot. I don't think they put you know celebrity cars and or celebrity stars in cars or whatever they are. Well, that's a oh. Top Gear phrase. Um. <laughs> yeah, it, it, Grand Tour's got their their packet. Is, no, it's Top Gear, not Grand Tour. No, it is. It's Top. It's it's Grand Tour. And right. They've got it. They've got a. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even tell them apart. <laughs> yeah, Good who's marketing on, guys. Who's on first? Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it is Grand Tour. That's yeah, right. I, I like the car. I always have. I, I I think it's a sexy car ever since they brought it out. And like Andrew was saying. They they did the smart thing. They gave they gave that basic shell to everybody, and then they said, "Put what we these, these are all your options. You can do everything from a grandma car to hold on, <laughs> you yeah. need new underwear." So yeah, it, it's a pretty cool product line. Then also Land Rover too has really stepped it up too with the brand new Velar that just came out. Um, it's pretty neat. I saw one of those at Bell Square, and I had no idea what it was. It is the perfect Bellevue car, honestly. <laughs> You know, ironically, it was parked in a handicapped spot with no placard, so uh, probably just running into Nordstrom's. But I, it's a very sleek, good-looking car. Like it is. I, it made me take a double take because I, you again around here you see so many of the Range Rovers, mm-hmm. the Range Rover Sports, and they're beautiful cars. Yeah. But this was that. There's just something about that. So, you know a lot about that car, or I know enough about the Velar. It's kind of. It's a cool car. So it's a part of the Range Rover line. So what happens is you got the top of the line is the Range Rover. Yeah. And below that, you kind of have the Range Rover Sport. Below that, it gets a little more muddled. But the Velar is kind of a good cross between the Vogue, which is kind of like your city-only car. It's mm-hmm. not designed for off-roading. And the full-size Range Rover, Range Rover Sports. So it's good for off-roading and towing, but also driving in the city. So it's kind of that happy medium that they kind of had, but never really defined. So to me, I think the Velar is pretty cool. And it's got a lot of new technology in it along with the new uh, handles, which go inside the door, which is obviously yeah. pretty slick. I mean, I'm a big fan of Land Rover. I like, and I mean, as you guys both know, my, my parents have a, a Discovery Sport that we spec'd out, which has just been absolutely fabulous. Mm-hmm. Great car. And this, they, then they were looking between that and like the X1, the X2, or the X3. And, mm-hmm. you know, 
this car really came out on top. And Dan and I have taken it off-road. The only thing that stopped it was we didn't have snow tires. And I kept putting it in a ditch. But that wasn't the car's fault. That was the driver's fault. <laughs> but I'm going to be the next Derek Senna, so it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> and the cool thing about the Discovery Sport is it's a reasonable price point, too, to start mm-hmm. out with. That's their, well, their well, entry-level cars. Once you it's not. But, oh, well, no, um, yeah, well, that was one. Yeah, 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 exactly. You mean, you mean you don't want the headlights that say Land Rover on your wall, sir? No. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's funny. I'm actually doing uh, HID retrofit with projectors. And I'm like going through the options. Uh, do I want it to say Ford? It's a friend of mine with a Ford. And so I'm like, do I want it to say Ford? Do I want it to shine the emblem on low beams? It's like all these stupid. No. Yes. Know. Yes, you do. Yeah, and you want to make sure when the doors open. It, it Actually, if you could do this. I know whose Ford you're working on. So when his doors open, if we could get it to say Chevy, I'd re- I'll pay for it. <laughs> I bet I could. Oh, I'm sure you could. I it totally meant I'm it was sure one of the first stupid things I bought for my Audi. <laughs> Was so when you open the puddle lights, it shines the Audi rings and no. it says, says S four on the ground. I seriously, it was like twenty six bucks for the Taiwanese knockoffs. So it's awesome. It. <laughs> you just you put it on your door or like the little door chain is done. That's yeah. way, that way, if you ever you know get knocked out, you'll know you're outside your car. <laughs> so that's a good thing. Hey, you're you're marking your territory, sir. You're marking your territory. Nick, don't piss on my car. <laughs> on. Oh yeah, yeah, you're fine. Yeah, we're it's good. Mine. I okay, it. we're fine. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't. If anybody's going to take claim to that, we know who wants to take claim to that car. But um, why don't we take a little bit of a break here, and we'll come back right after a word from our sponsors. Hey, this is Nick from Rain City Supercars. This part of the podcast is brought to you by M Squared Fitness. Personalized fitness, personalized performance. Find M Squared Fitness online at m2-fitness.com. Mention Rain City Supercars. Get your first session free. And we're back. Uh, Andrew, we've talked about your racing career. We've talked about your race cars. But um, what do you drive uh, every day? I drive a 2007 BMW X3. So like I was saying earlier, I'm a German nut. And I love it. It's a great car. As a daily, it's well, semi-reliable. But then the cool thing, too, is that um, I'm somebody who loves to... I love skiing. And I love uh, backpacking and hiking. So for me, it's kind of nice to have a vehicle that has got off-road capabilities. So for me, like getting a 3 Series is kind of out of the question almost. I prefer like a SUV to kind of do all my activities. He's taking every shot at me he can. He knows I drive his 3 Series. <laughs> um, so, I mean, being that you, you know, you've, you've been to Le Mans, you've, you've raced some of the coolest cars in the world. I mean, you've, you've had everything from partnerships with CJ to, you know, Dominic Dobson, who is, I mean, one of the best guys we know. What would you drive if, if you know, you know, a good friend of ours always says, if, if money was no option, what would you drive? And that's one of the age-old questions I don't quite have an answer on. Um, for me, I'm actually happy with my X-rays a daily. I'm not going to lie. Um, but something as far as like a dream car, I'm a big collector car nut. I'd love to have like a, an old E-Type, a Generation 1 or Series 1, or I'm not sure, a Cobra. But to be honest, as far as dailies, I'd probably stick with the next three at the moment, or uh, maybe move over to like a, a Lexus, to a like fault, a GX470. <laughs> no, I mean, if you if you want to know what it's like to live with a classic car, I'll let you have the Triumph for a week. You'll bring it back. Oh right? yeah, no. <laughs> I, I it's like to I live would, with an old E Type. <laughs> I, I would love to look at it in my my little garage. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> Drive it on a Sunday. Oh, you'll be looking at it, and you'll be changing the cardboard under <laughs> with the, with the uh, oil and everything. So. so it's kind of funny. This week I posted uh, on my Facebook, my personal one, on the Rain City Supercars. But I asked my friends, I said, you know, what's your favorite car you've had? What's your mm-hmm. favorite car maybe that you've gotten rid of? And, you know, where are you at? And for me, it was my Z06. But I was surprised how many people shifted so far across the board. That was it, unbelievable. The answer is no, it was surprisingly inconsistent for a guy who's got tons of car nut friends. It wasn't the fastest car they had. Sometimes it was, you know, a car he got, a buddy of mine got from his dad, a car uh, a buddy of mine had restored from, like, mm. nothing, and he had his whole life. Uh, one of it was a guy who is a young father and is just starting out, so he's like, whatever is practical and keeps my family taken care of, he's like, that's the car for me. And he meant it. He wasn't like, oh, if I had all this money, he was like, no, I just, this is my only priority right now. So it really varies surprisingly a lot. It's pretty cool that also you talk about with like first cars with people as well i mean some people have love-hate relationships was the x your first car no it wasn't actually my first car was well it depends so i had technically my first car was a 2000 volkswagen golf um no it wasn't it was actually a great car i bought for like 2500 bucks uh from a guy in everett and it was great for like the first two months and then somehow i don't know how this happened i hit a gas pole um 
the or like post. a little cement post yeah. at the gas station wiped out the side of the right side of the uh, Volkswagen Golf. <laughs> He's and like, so, I don't know how it happened. I wasn't even at a gas station. No, I wasn't even at a gas station. And so, and so I come home, bring out like the rubbing alcohol and start scrubbing the car for the next two hours trying to get the paint out. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was probably my first it's sort funny. of accident. It's funny to hear a race car driver <laughs> say so. I love it. Yeah. Because it's like you just assume that mistakes are never made. But yeah, they, yeah. They, don't, they don't break things. Yeah, no. they never hit things. Of course not. It's like I feel suddenly better. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I always feel, you know, subpar around Andrew. I just I always feel like he could sit there and be like, let me drive. We'll get there faster and safer. You know, <laughs> it's probably the case if I wasn't, you know, singing along to like the Rolling Stones or something like that before I hit the pole. <laughs> <laughs> So what's what's your favorite car you've driven though, uh, track or not? But like, I mean, yeah. And let's say not purpose built race cars, but My. like your favorite car you maybe just had the chance to get behind the wheel of. Wow. Because I know you've been behind the wheel of a ton of them. So yeah, there's some really cool ones. Um, probably at Park Place, there was um, I've never had the opportunity to drive like an actual original, but there was a replica of a Yanko Chevelle that was in there with the big old Ford twenty seven and stuff. And I know that car. You know that exactly it was which car beautiful, wasn't it? Com- it still comes to exotics on occasion. No way! It's like an almost perfect replica. I want to meet that owner because that is an unbelievable car. I have several photos of it. Yeah, really? Because I when I drove it, I was wow, that blew me away. I mean, that was a cool car. It was just a very cool car. I mean, it doesn't turn for its life, but it's a beautiful piece Torque. of machinery. <laughs> Tore you what a great driver he is and the fact that he was like 16 working at one of the nicest car dealerships around here and they're like oh just just go ahead and drive it they'd look at you and i right now and be like don't touch anything <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've been pretty lucky to drive some amazing cars old cars have a soul yeah new cars don't I exactly think. and that's what i love about them too and maybe it's because we didn't grow up in that generation too right but we have the emotional connection still to it safety <laughs> <laughs> who needs that well yeah a lot of people don't know this i had to put seat belts in the triumph oh yeah that's they, right. they, yeah it did not come with it and <laughs> which don't get me wrong if i was in the car in the car crash in that car i'd want to be thrown from the car i get the old time race because remember you remember like some of the old time race they didn't wear seat belts and stuff like that because you wanted to be thrown because if you didn't you were engulfed in flames. Yeah. I mean, so. It's crazy. Like, if you get to see some videos from back then, those guys were all warriors, honestly. I mean, yeah. you had one out of three drivers back in the 60s would not make it. But they were also standing in the pits watching a guy pour a can of gasoline with a lit cigarette going, <laughs> it needs to go a little higher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It spills over. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's only in the seat. What could happen? <laughs> So what do you guys think of like the new Halo design coming out in F1 and like you know, the screen protectors and open wheel cars? That's the one that you've got now got like a pillar right in the front of yeah, you? Yeah, and it like extends up. It's it's half hard to describe. It's almost like a prism. We, okay, so you, you've spent a little bit more time in a race car than we have. Just a little bit. Do you think that's going to be distractive? Well, my fascinating, my question is, is it ruin it for fans that are watching? Like isn't with the head not fully exposed, you got that little pillar kind of extending all the way up the cockpit eventually there'll be it'll be a closed cockpit i think there's just you know yeah i'm very fascinated by your opinions because from an outside perspective i'm not sure he obviously does not know us um (laughs) (laughs) well i've been watching formula one since i was a kid i understand the need for the safety i understand that needs to get there but i think we've gotten to that point in cars where part of the appeal of that kind of racing is the danger when you make it too safe and it's never going to be too safe don't get me wrong i'm i'm all in favor of saving drivers lives that's a great thing but like part of that appeal is that that raw man's man just like you said warrior of a driver yeah i think this is a really good point like dan said racing cars is dangerous it always will be dangerous and andrew when we were talking to him earlier brought up a wonderful quote and i'm gonna let him say it about about auto racing and what was that so it was a quote from Ernest Hemingway. He wrote, There are only three sports, bullfighting, motor racing, and mountaineering. All the rest are merely games. It's a, <laughs> it's a pretty cool quote. I, I, I find I'm along the same lines as Dan. Like, and I feel this like about football. These guys are playing football, and, they're, and they're, they're, they're playing tough, and they should be protected. But again, at the end of the day, it's a rough sport. And just like auto racing, you should be protected. If we can mitigate some of the risk, wonderful. But then again... You chose to get in a small cockpit where your feet are above your head and do 200 miles an hour. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, 
bad is going to happen, and I never want it to happen, and we never, and I, and I hope we can save lives with this. But I think, like all extreme sports, danger is part of the appeal to the fans and to the drivers. But I never looked at it like from Adam's or Adam's, <laughs> Andrew's perspective, and the fact that he's like, well, you won't be able to see the driver's head. I, I never, it's never been a big thing of mine to see the driver's head. I mean, but I, I don't know. It's fascinating because I mean, as a human, or how's, how do I explain? Is it? Um make the sport more attractive where you can actually see the unique helmet paints and stuff like that and see your driver driving? I'm not sure. Maybe maybe it's because I'm looking at it from an American point of view. We just have never had the Formula One following that Europe has. Europe has. And it's like they immediately see that helmet and they identify with that driver like it's a... I mean, over there, the, the drivers are the real the real stars. I know nothing about Outside helmet colors, but football. I could pick out Eric Senna's helmet in a heartbeat. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm just, I mean... Harrison. Harrison. Like I said, I know nothing. About <laughs> you know, I think I proved that point pretty well. <laughs> you know, and the reality is, people, when you're going 200 miles per hour next to concrete walls in a race car, something's going to happen all the time. And yeah. so, I guess from my point of view, I guess it's similar. I mean, if you can save lives, it's great. Otherwise, you're just part of the risk. I think that's sort of an engineering question too, though. How do we do this without making it ugly? Yeah. That's really the beauty of engineering. And like Indy, it's got to be sexy. You're right. And yeah. IndyCar just announced the other day like a windscreen test. Yeah, I, I was just going to bring that up. Isn't that cool? I mean, to me, I'm not quite sure how it's going to look in person, but it may be like a Why? halfway. Why do they need between. a windscreen? Aerodynamics for one, but two, it's a safety thing too. So they're doing it with a windscreen, and it reminds me a lot of the uh, the new Adam 4S, where they put the windshield on, and it's got the you know not a handle. Or, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so mm-hmm. I saw that it's which makes the Adam 4S even more appealing. But yeah, if they could do that, that might be better. Yeah, and obviously it's never going to look as good as a regular open cockpit. But you know, I mean, is, I, that, is that windshield going to be able to support the car if it's on top if it's on its roof? Oh, I don't know. Is that actually protecting you, or is it just aerodynamics? Well, it could well, be from debris. I mean, there's still that that's aspect. That's true. Like, just like a couple of years ago, Justin Wilson died from a piece of debris hitting his helmets yeah. in IndyCar. And so from that aspect, I view the aero screen or halo way more effective in IndyCar than F1. When you're racing at Indianapolis over 230 miles per hour, and you flip and you land on your head, like, it's game over at that point. Dan and I think the same thing. I mean, the last time we were racing, in, I mean, we were doing, what, like 250? I mean, it's just... <laughs> I had a real hard time because I've got, like, a bobblehead in the wind. <laughs> Anything catches my head and I'm screwed. All right. Well, on that note, we'll leave Nick to ponder the aerodynamics of his head. Uh, Andrew, thanks for joining <laughs> us tonight. It was great to get to know you. And uh, if you guys are ever out at Exotics at Urban Town Center or other local events, you'll probably run into Andrew with the local auto shows. He's always around somewhere. And he's a very friendly guy. Come up, say hi. I mean, and Andrew's, like I said, he's a cut above the rest. He's, he's not your typical race car driver. He's not your typical young man. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time because I know you have a really busy schedule. So Thanks for having me, guys. And uh, hopefully see you out at Exotics or somewhere else. Yeah. All right. And for the rest of you, don't just get there. Enjoy the drive.